One Pills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, welcome in. It's One Bills Live here, a Tuesday edition. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And, uh, you know, Steve doing his best Chris Collins where it's slide uh, like, like they do on Monday. I did screech to a halt today. I was just getting in. Um, hope you all enjoyed your President's Day holiday. We were fortunate to have the day off as well, but we are back here in earnest, ready to roll through our off-season discussions concerning the Bills. And I'm not in earnest mode yet. You're not yet. supremely motivated, are you? Not earnest yet. Okay. I'll get earnest in a minute. Next week, is it next week is the, the NFL Combine. NFL combine. We, Combine's next week, Bruce Leavage. We will have wall-to-wall coverage out there. We'll be uh, in Indianapolis. The show will be, uh, as usual. And uh, we'll be rocking and rolling and throwing out dozens of prospect names and talking position groups and catching up with important NFL movers and shakers, uh, including head coach Sean McDermott and general manager Brandon Bean, as those two are usually kind enough to join us each and every year out there at the Combine. So look forward to those conversations. And, you know, we'll see what we can glean from their offseason plans and speculate about everything under the sun. That's exactly that is on right. the horizon here. Free agency. It's going to be fun. I will come up first um, before the draft, obviously. And what will come up even before that, Steve, is the major task for about half the league of getting into cap compliance, getting under the cap prior to March 13th. So that will be a, a task that Buffalo has. On their list, as they yeah. are more than fifty million over. It seems, um, seems a foregone conclusion. It's it'll be fairly easy and straightforward for them to do it. Uh, the concerning thing, and I, the the cap's going to be decided on exactly what that's going to be for this year. It hasn't been yet, and it's going to be not officially determined. It's going to be at right. least two forty two, two hundred forty two million north of that, uh, or north of that. Um, the bills are going to be about fifty million over, and. They can make themselves compliant with a handful of restructurings of guys that are absolutely going to get the money anyway, so you may as well give it to them now. That's what they'll do. Uh, It does make them susceptible to the same problem next year, Uh, but that's doing business in the NFL. Well, yeah, and I think the other thing that it's – going to do while there is a formulaic way to get into cap compliance which is mandatory as we know there are also going to be some difficult decisions because i think they are going to get to a point where they are going to have to lop some people off the roster who are under contract if they can't reach terms on amended deals pay cuts restructures etc then it may cost some players their job because they are too cost prohibitive for Buffalo's bottom line with what they're facing. And that's something that I think fans and people like us try to speculate, anticipate and prepare for. But even when it happens, it's like, Oh geez, that guy's not on the roster anymore. Right. Right. Whether you expect it or not, it's still like a little bit of a jolt to the system. Especially if yeah. it's a familiar name, you know, that's been here for a while. It, here's the thing. It, it, at this time of year, more so than any other, they've got to do cost-benefit analysis, and that's cold. Yeah. 
You can't have your emotions in that if you're one of the, If you're one of those guys that's overperforming your contract, you are gold. If you're not, you got problems. Um, there's some extenuating circumstances for guys like Matt Milano, Trey White, and all those guys where they kind of were and then they got injured and you feel like they can come back and, and still do that. Um, that's, that's different. But there's a lot of guys who, you know, be looking at their contract going, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it, and I don't know how they f- – and the thing is, we don't know what their player evaluation says about these guys. We may like them. They may have second thoughts about them. Yeah. Or they may love a guy that we think there's no way he's staying. Right. So we, you kind of have to sit tight, wait and see, but know that we're going to get some news here in the coming weeks that the Bills are going to make some uh, contract adjustments for right. these guys. Incidentally, the Buffalo Bills coverage of the 2024 NFL Combine is presented by Ticketmaster, the official ticket marketplace of the NFL. And as we said, that will begin next Monday. We will actually be there a day earlier than usual. Usually we don't get out there. We usually do our Monday show here and then get out there Tuesday through Friday. We are going to be there wall to wall, Monday through Friday. So a little bonus coverage for you out there in Indianapolis. We'll probably be there. So you know how when we're out there, we got like action happening behind us. There's going to be nothing going on on Monday. (laughs) But we'll be there anyway. Empty empty room. And it's... They've changed it up the last few times we've been there. It's kind of a different setup. Well, I don't know if it's a different setup. It's the same kind of room, but what's going on around us has evolved over the years, right? Yes. So it'll be interesting to see how that what what's going on around. We had the bench press right there last year, and a lot of yelling, a lot of screaming and Shouting. yelling at different times, and, and uh, so it's pretty fun. Um, it's you know, it's a little breath of fresh air to get the show on the road. Yeah, no mind, no mind going on location a little bit. Uh, we should mention that we've NFL.com put out their forecasts for potential cap casualties heading into next month's free agency. They did it for the AFC, and they did it for the NFC. They kind of broke them into the conferences and then ran down a list. And to no one's surprise, there were some Bills players on the AFC list. So... Where it began was with pretty big names, you know, like Cleveland running back Nick Chubb. He's got, like, a gigantic cap figure. It's over $15 million. He's 28 years old, and he's coming off his second major surgery. You remember he had that gruesome knee injury against the Steelers this past season and missed the rest of the year. He's seen as a cap casualty, for example. Chargers pass rusher Joey Bosa was a name that surprised me a little bit, but then when you consider his $36 million cap figure for a team that's $45 million over the cap, you quickly come to realize he could be a victim of the cost of doing business. Uh, So you got names like this. C.J. Mosley for the Jets is another one. $17 million that Jets can save if they cut him after June 1st. So as as I'm going down this list... I'm I'm thinking to myself, all right, when when are the Buffalo Bills going to come up? Because there's going to be some players here knowing the Bills are 50 over the cap. And the first one that pops up is Tredavious White. And this is what they wrote about Tredavious White. He's missed 30 games over the last three seasons due to major injuries and had just has just three interceptions over that span. If he were to be released, he would save the Bills $6 million on the cap before June 1st, $10.2 million after June 1st. Um, 
other Bills players that made the list, Deontay Hardy, who would represent a $4 million cap savings, and I think we can all agree was used far less than was befitting of the salary he was pulling down. Right. And Naheem Hines, who, due to an unfortunate jet skiing accident that was no fault of his own, missed the entire 2023 season with an ACL knee injury, and he would represent $5 million in cap savings. Both of those players were listed on NFL.com's possible cuts list for cap casualties for the AFC. Um, I should point out that Brandon Breen, Bean, in his season wrap-up press conference, did say he was he was planning to have Naheem Hines be a part of this roster in 2024. But, Steve, we know plans can change. I mean, sometimes you have this plan laid out, and you have to believe, if you're $50 million over like the Bills are, there's not just part A and part B of this plan. There's like right. part G, H, yeah. and I. It goes deep. And if, if part B didn't go the way you anticipated, because maybe somebody's not taking a pay cut or somebody doesn't want to restructure, mm-hmm. that impacts part C, D, E, F, G, H, and I. Yeah, but as we've said before, the restructures usually are just a formality for the players. Um, they'll right. do it in a heartbeat. Um, that's something that sometimes fans don't get. Because it's usually more money in their pocket be- now. Because they don't have to wait to get the money. It's, it's going to be there. Um, and... So that's a that's a foregone conclusion. So those things probably take place, you know, right away. Um, however, you're right. You got a plan, and sometimes the plan hinges on something that's out of your control as a GM, right? So if, like, for instance, if they're going to say, Naheem, we really want you on the club, but you got to take a, you got to redo your contract. We got to tear your contract up. We're going to release you and sign you right back. Now we're going to make you a free agent. You can go do what you want. But when you go out there, and if you don't want to like any of the offers you get, we want you back. Or they just say we got to start over. Or we got to start right. over. Yes, you but want we'll, to negotiate. Let's sit down and see what we can come up with. That's see right. See how far apart we are. That's right. And then if that doesn't work, then I think what you're that's saying right. could all very that's on the well table. Happen. That could happen with all of these guys. So uh, all all that being said, getting under the cap from the point where the bills are right now with the con. Contract structures of the guys they have at the top of the roster should be, for all of us out here, paperwork. Mm-hmm. Um, now, for them, it's green paper, but and for Terry Pagula, it's the kind that he has mm-hmm. to sign at the bottom paper. But yeah, yeah um, that's what it's going to be. It'll be it'll happen, and so what are they going to do? Uh, they're going to have like. 33 guys under ro- on the roster or something like that. You know, I mean, it's going to be an empty room. Yeah. So they'll start from scratch, and here we go. And we've already seen some players around the league released due to their cost-prohibitive contracts for their respective clubs. Patriots released defensive end Lawrence Guy and veteran safety Adrian Phillips over this holiday weekend. Now, the Patriots are clearly in a far different place than the Bills. Bills are AFC contenders. The Patriots are in total teardown mode. So releasing, you know, players on the wrong side of 30 years old makes sense. They have to get young players, build a roster almost from scratch in many cases at many positions. So those kinds of releases are not surprising. It's a much different conversation for the Bills in terms of who do we feel we should hold on to to maintain our status as an AFC contender and how can we massage that contract if we feel it's cost prohibitive rather than like, 
yeah, you know what, we got to just throw this guy overboard. By the time we're good again, he's going to be out of the league anyway because he'll be 36. You know, like that kind of right. conversation. That Yeah, and that really sometimes doesn't really come down on the Buffalo Bills side of the ledger because I think the Bills right now are in that. Right, it's a different conversation. Yeah, they're in a, they're in a kind of this halo era around Josh and McDermott and Bean of we're, we got a shot every year. So if you can help us, even if it's just for this year, you're in, right? You're going to stick around. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we can make the cap work, you're in. That's kind of where they're at right now. They are, they're, not, they're not looking for draft capital. They're not looking for financial relief. They're looking for guys that can win games right now. Um, and if they can do it more economically, of course they'll do it and all of that. That all goes in there without saying but that's, they're in a different conversation than these teams that are going to listen. If we can get a first or a second for this guy, we need to do it. You know, Even though he can help us win, mm-hmm. we need younger players, cheaper players, all of that stuff. So it's, um, it's, it's different for every – that's one of the things that separates teams in this, in this part of the year. The crazy thing to me, though, Steve, is – and we've noted this at some positions, safety, some others, that – the market is flush with veteran right. talent where it almost feels like supply outweighs demand. Then you couple that with the fact that you have 16 teams that are over the cap. There's going to be even more veteran talent thrust into the market here in the coming weeks. Yeah, I think it's really going to be interesting to see what the market bears, whether there's just going to be 5 to 10 Big-time money deals, and then everybody else is taking probably far less than they thought they were going to get because teams just don't want to go right back into the same spot they just tried to get themselves out of. Think about this, and this is, and this is typical. So, you, so we're losing Leonard Floyd and all these guys, you know, this, all the defensive linemen and stuff. Okay, we're tra- Leonard Floyd's out there, and, and the whole market's flooded with guys. And all of a sudden, you're sitting there, you're a week and a half into free agency, and Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack are still out there. Yeah. Still like, out there. It's like Khalil Mack, they're under contract, but both could be clipped. If they get clipped get as the cap. cap casualties, and they're still out there, and they're thinking, all right, they're thinking, I, I need a shot at this again. And you and Brandon Bean picks up the phone, calls their agent, and say, hey, listen, I know – Khalil's a great player. Joey's a great player. He calls them both separately. You think he's going down that well again with and Von Miller on the roster? And he's saying, no. And he's saying, listen, I, we can't give him anything. We can give him a one-year deal and give him like $7 bucks, like we gave Leonard Floyd last yeah. year. If he doesn't want to – if he wants his shot to come here, play with Josh, get a shot at a championship, and then go right back on the market next year – we got a spot for him. So if he wants to... I don't know if Bosa listens to that because he's still a relatively young veteran, but Khalil Mack might listen to that well, at age go. 33. Think about it. And he had a 17-sack season last year. So there you go. That's what you're talking a about. A little full-circle action. There, that's Come what you're talking Buffalo. about. Right? There could be opportunities like that. Guys like that are out there. Leonard Floyd was out there last year. In June. In June. So... And, and here's the thing too, and it's you get dispassionate. You got to be dispassionate when you're a GM, at least in some way. You certainly like the guys on your roster, and you and you you cultivate yeah, them. Emotion and you love them. can't you, be part of the you equation. can't let it. You go out there, and it's like, yeah, I mean, thanks, I, I love you. It's been great, AJ, but we're bringing Nick, you know, Joy Bosa in. Thanks. That I mean, you just got to do it. Yeah. You got to do it. That's as much as you love your guys, and you invested your reputation on drafting them. 
that's this is when you got to be cold and say, listen, I got to make a I got to make a business decision here, and that because there's gonna be. When you start getting into this, these names that are going to be out there. Oh yeah, I mean, like you big recognizable. I mean, it's names. like, whoa, whoa, who is that? Yeah. It's it's really shocking to me when I go down the list of free agents at every position. It's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, so there's really no reason for a GM and the NFL to think we're going to get shut out of talent. It's yeah, going to be a, out there. There's a glut of talent. It's going to be out there, and I you think wonder that's one how of the, many teams hold their water though. I mean, there's always going to be some teams that leap. And say, oh, this guy puts us over the top. Sign him for whatever. Just do it. That, I think that's old school. I think it is. You still might get a handful. Like, for example, last year, I Jesse think, Bates I think signs for like $66 million. He's a safety. Like, Jesse Bates signs giant money last year in free agency. Nobody else. Nobody. safety really got big money besides him. So they're sitting. So that team's sitting there going, oh, dude, what do we Did do? Did we really need Did to do that? Did we just need to do that? But here's the thing. You, you're sitting out there. You're, you don't have to hold your water. This is all taking place, and it's just like you, you put it on the player. Say, hey, listen, bro, here's our number. This is what we want you to do. This is a one-year deal. Come in here, and you can be a free agent next year. Presto changeo. There you go hmm. if you want it. And he goes out there, and he can get a two-year or three-year deal from somebody else, but it, it's got an out after one year, and none of it's getting that, 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 I don't know. And then they, and they're going to be rebuilding. No, I'm going to take a shot at. It. I got a chance to win something here. Let's go. That's the kind of thing you've got here. Uh, and the, I think the Bills exploited that to perfect uh, result with Leonard Floyd last year. We keep going back to that, but that's it's basically what we're looking at. So I'm, you know. They're going to free up this money. They're going to have a little money because, um, you know. Well, and the other part, too, that made some of their free agent signings interesting was they waited until they were outside the signing period that counts toward the compensatory pick window. Because as you remember, you want to have a net loss of free agents in the signing window. And that's part of the reason they waited until May and June to sign Puna Ford and Leonard Floyd, because they were outside the signing window where those additions did not count on their net loss of free agents equation and kept them eligible for a third-round compensatory pick for the loss of Tremaine Edmonds. I wouldn't be surprised if Brandon Bean goes down that road again because, you know, to your point, there's going to be so much talent out there that there should should still be viable stuff that can help your team yeah. late in and the period and outside the compensatory window. And here's one thing that should give Bills fans a little bit of encouragement. This is a this is a coaching staff. Now, granted, it's going to be a little bit revamped, but the vibe is still the same and the and the core values are still the same from Sean McDermott. They're going to get guys in here and they're going to develop them and their culture is going to maximize them. This coaching staff has done really well in maximizing the roster they've been able to get inside the building, no matter who it was. And whatever year you're talking about, uh, they get the most out of their guys. So whoever is out there and the Bills sign, whether they sign them late in free agency or on day one of free agency, you're going to bet that they're going to get the best out of those guys. This It's been something that's ha- been happening here in Buffalo since McDermott took over. So, you know, and with this refurbished coaching staff, there's going to be a lot of new guys in new roles that are really going to be out there motivated to get the most yeah. out of their guy. You know, they're going to be, let's go, you know. I think that's a little energizing effect. You know what I'm saying? So I'm really excited about this next two and a half, three months of football and what it's going to come down to. Now, we're about, we're about what, two months away from the draft? Maybe about two, a little over two months. into It's late April. 
Aren't you? Yes, I think public math. But yeah, we're a little over two months from the draft, and I'm I'm all about it. I I I can't wait to see him take another swing and see who's going to be you know part of the Bills family here because it's going to there's going to be some guys who perhaps at this point with you and I talking like this we don't even know. Yeah, and in case you're wondering, the the end of the comp period for signing free agents is the Monday after the draft. You sign somebody after the draft. In free agency, they don't count towards your net loss of free agents equation for compensatory picks. Also, if you sign people to one-year minimum deals, they usually don't count towards that formula either. And the Bills, as we know, do a heck of a lot of that uh, in free agency, too. Uh, We should mention this, our final note from around the NFL. Matthew Slater, longtime special teams ace for the New England Patriots, and son of Hall of Famer Jackie Slater, has retired after 16 seasons in the NFL, 10-time Pro Bowler, three-time Super Bowl champion. And I know uh, you know, you and uh, Matthew have a lot of mutual respect for one another. You've had a chance to speak to him on a few occasions, right? Like, Yeah, I'm just briefly. Over I'm, the years. Tremendous yeah. guy, and I'm really happy for him. And I know, and, I, and of course... It always comes up, you know, when a guy like of Matthew's stature comes up, and, and the same way it did for me with this Hall of Fame stuff that we talk about. Um, and I would encourage Bills fans to cheer for the guy. Um, he's a tremendous kid, great player, played for a long, long time. Which, and, and as a former player, the one Trump card that trumps everything as far as respect in locker rooms and in the history of the game and how you're perceived by the people you played with and played against, longevity in the National Football League is the ultimate trump card. He played 16 years. That's like, it's an amazing career. And he went to 10 Pro Bowls um, and three world championships. So I'm, I'm so happy for him. I'm happy for his family, proud of him. And I, and I hope that Bills fans everywhere will, you know, uh, just, you know, cheer the guy on uh, in, in his post-football life and everything that happens afterwards. And, and, um, because it, 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 as much as you know, he played for the Patriots and was there for 16 of the 20 years that we suffered under their – or, well, 13 of the 20 years. <laughs> last three haven't been that bad. Um, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, oh, yeah. the, guy, the guy's a great dude. Um, the league is full of wonderful people, and he's one of them. So um, good for him. Be happy for him. Congratulate him if you get a chance because uh, you really should. He deserves a lot of love and respect from the football world, and I hope I wish him nothing but the best in his retirement. That's awesome to yeah. see. He was, he was a great player, a great player. So that is Around the NFL, presented by Collider Health, the official health care system of the Buffalo Bills. Got to get to our topic of discussion today, which is how confident are you that a retooled and younger Bills roster can win the AFC East? You let us know. What you think about that? How confident are you that a retooled and younger Bills roster, which is something I think we're all expecting, knowing their cap situation, can win the AFC East? 803-0550-1888-550-2550, the number to get on board. And let's go to the phones now. And leading us off today is Mark in East Amherst. What do you got for us, Mark? You're on One Bills Live. Hi, Chris. Hi, Steve. I hope you guys are doing well. I was just wondering if you can um, help me understand um, the salary cap situation um, as it relates to the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills. I mean, currently the Chiefs are somewhere between 15 and 20 million under the cap. Obviously, the Bills are around 50 million over the cap. And obviously, both teams 
are building for sustained success. And obviously we know the chief success. And I guess my question is, who's managing the caps for the Bills and, and, and the Chiefs? Is it Overdorf, Jim Overdorf for the Bills, um, in collaboration with Brandon Bean? Um, it just seems to me that another thing I'm wondering, is it because that the Chiefs are playing younger players that have developed and they're saving money against the cap in those areas um, in terms of their receivers to stepping up, in terms of their defensive secondary stepping up? Um, just having a difficult time um, understanding that and what we can do to become more competitive with the cap. Um, so th- that's primarily my question. Yeah, no, no problem, Mark. Mark you, we can take help care you of that. that. Uh, Answer his question, Brownie. You, you're better at it, it than I Well, am. I don't know that I'm better, but I, I'll say this. First and foremost, and Brandon Bean has referenced this over the years too, the Chiefs, if you remember, they drafted their franchise quarterback in 2017 – And they began to build their roster approximately two years ahead of Buffalo's build when McDermott and Bean got here, you know, in spring of 2017. They had already been building it for a year or so. Um, Bills didn't get their franchise quarterback until 2018. And so the build of the Chiefs and their sustainability as contenders is about a year or two ahead of where Buffalo's has been. Um and I guess what I'm getting at with that is everything you've seen the Chiefs do to manage their cap, keep their roster strong, et cetera, the Bills have in many ways followed that same formula. And that's why I think Steve and myself, along with a lot of people, are anticipating a youth movement by the Bills to overcome their cap situation. Because what you saw the Chiefs do – Two years ago, when they were in a bad cap situation, was they said, you know what? Tyreek Hill wants $30 million a year. We're not paying that. We're going to trade him and use draft assets in return to refortify our roster and draft well to keep ourselves contenders in the AFC and the league at large. And what they did was they reinvested in their defense with draft choices and completely rebuilt that defense probably in about two years, two draft classes, some wise one-year veteran free agent deals and stuff like that. And they completely rebuilt their defense, a large portion of which is on rookie contracts right now. And so what that affords you is the ability to hold on to a difference-making player like a Chris Jones and pay him $20 million because you're, play, you're paying an all-pro nickel corner in Trent McDuffie peanuts in the second year of a four-year rookie contract with cost control because he was a first-round pick, and you can even throw a fifth-year option at him after next year. So what the Chiefs have done is what the Bills are going to need to do now, which is basically invest in draft choices to rebuild their defense which has either veterans on expiring contracts or cost-prohibitive contracts for players that are either not going to get back due to injury, Tredavious White, or players that just flat-out have to be replaced because they were here on one-year deals and cost too much, Leonard Floyd, examples like that. So you could almost use the Chiefs, as a roadmap for where the bills need yeah. to go, because they're about a year or two behind them right. in their build. And the difference is, you know, there's a couple of different places where it varies. Um, 
this coming year, Pat Mahomes' cap hit is $58 million coming up. Uh, Josh's is 47 Then it drops down Josh. Then it's Steph Diggs at 27 And then, of course, you got Vaughn, who was, an, it was kind of a hole in the Buffalo's kind of hierarchy because he, did, he didn't get nothing for that, right? Because Vaughn was injured and didn't play well, and he was kind of struggling to get back. The Chiefs, they go, they've got – the Bills have probably about 11 guys, and I could count it real quick. They go down to about – all the way down to Mitch Morris, and they go down to three – Six, nine guys, and then the tenth is Ed Oliver, who's the first guy just under ten million dollars. The Chiefs only have five guys, six guys. One, two, three, four, figures. five, six, seven. They have seven guys making ten million or more, and yeah, the next figures. guy's making four. There's nobody seven, six, five, four. That's just, that goes from ten to four. So they're and during their bill, the Chiefs said goodbye to maybe the most dynamic player in the league. Tyreek. Right. So if it would be like if the Chiefs had signed Tyreek to the deal that Miami did and then Tyreek got hurt, that's what Vaughn would have been. That's what they got out of Vaughn, right? Yeah. So that's that's the difference in the builds. Let's put them in some of the predicament that we see them in now. That would that that gave them some help. Plus the thing that the Chiefs did that was surprising to everybody, they played a ton of young guys last year, two years ago, mm-hmm. in their Super Bowl run, their first one. And they got good production. They hit on some guys they really had to hit on. Yeah. They had to hit on them. And that's what the Bills have to do now. They're going to have to have a youth movement on the roster, and those players are going to have to play early and often and play major roles. And then quickly, to answer your cap management question, it's largely the GM that makes the decisions, but he has counsel with cap experts. The Chiefs have one, and the Bills have the Jim Overdorf and Kevin Meagang. Yeah, the Jim – the – the general manager, the guy that are responsible to get the team under the cap. Now, he'll have the, the guys that Brownie just mentioned. The Chiefs have the same one. They bring options to the GM. They say, well, we could do this. We could do that. What about this guy and that guy? And if we did, you know, they, have, they know all the numbers and the ways of manipulating the cap for current spending. Um, so they're the guys that are the option guys, and the GM is the guy that's the decision guy. We got to take a break here, but when we come back, more of your phone calls at 803-0550-1888-550-2550. So if you're there, stay there. We'll get to you when we return. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, back here on One Bills Live, talking offseason and potential roster changes. Question on the table, how confident are you that a retooled and younger Bills roster can win the AFC East? 803-0550. Let's get right to the phones as we've got people waiting. And to Steve in Virginia next. What's up, Steve? Hey, man. How are you doing? Good. Great. Hey, uh, listen, uh, get the bona fides out of the way first. Uh, longtime fan, became really aware of them in 67, but grew up in a household in Olean with the Bills. Love your show. In fact, about cracked my gut laughing at your Alphonse and Gaston over Jimmy Garoppolo's uh, uh, possible alternative pr- uh, profession. Cologne model. Then, yeah, exactly. And then, and then the... And then the uh, the rant, Steve, that you went on with the guy that called in is like, what, what's the problem? The hockey guy that came in and you just, uh, you know, I couldn't have said it better <laughs> myself. <is> not so, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love, love, love you guys. Love the Bills. Uh, I also love St. Bonaventure because I grew up in Olean. Right. But anyways, my answer to your uh, question today is yes. Now let me get to my three questions. Number one, Gabe Davis, would you explain to me what the issue is with him? Because I heard one of your uh, analysts that you interviewed talked about his hands and, you know, everybody's talking about he has games where he's not targeted. Well, he's not targeted. And that means something is not right for Josh to throw it to him or whatever. I don't know. I, I, I don't understand what the disappointment is with him when he doesn't seem to be thrown to at all. Number two, explain to me and deconstruct the, uh, uh, um, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, 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 passing, uh, passing without uh, illegal forward pass, uh, from, uh, I don't understand because I see mistakes seemingly made about a uh, player being in approximate, uh, uh, proximity to where the ball goes down. You're talking about, uh, you're I, talk, talking about roughing the, I mean, uh, pass, uh, intentional, down. intentional grounding. Th- th- thank you. Yeah. I had a little brain fart there. Uh, and third, tell me when the NFL is going to uh, stop salami slicing into the point where you need like 15 different subscriptions to watch all the games. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's a lot. We'll try to unpack all of it, Steve, uh, quickly. I will say streaming services, as long as there are people at streaming service companies willing to pay the NFL giant money, They'll continue to exist on different platforms. Yeah, and here's the thing, too. We're, I think all of us, technologically speaking, are in a transition period. It used to be one way and one way only to get the – well, two ways to get the games, on the radio or on the TV. You turn it on, it's on free. Yep. Now um, you've got cable services. Well, we didn't have cable. All we have is broadcast. Well, you can get those in the regular season. Nah, nah, nah. Now There's probably more ways to watch the games now than ever before, but as you said – Every way you can watch it now, you got to pay separately to do that. Yes. I think we're in a transition for that, and it may be that in the years to come, you'll only be able to watch it if you add it and you say, "Listen, I want to watch it. Here's my subscription. I'll pay this much a month, but every single NFL game, I want to get a chance to watch whenever I want to watch it, however I want to watch it." Um, that's kind of where we're headed. I think it'll get it'll get more simple for the viewers, streamlined and streamlined. But there's going to still going to be all these ways to time. watch it, and and so that's that's. I think we're in a transition technologically across the globe of how people intake their entertainment. Okay, so now quickly to the other things. Intentional grounding was everywhere and all over the map this year. If you watched Bill's games alone, there were times where you were wondering how the heck it applied Cincinnati game when Josh throws it 10 feet over Gabe Davis's head down out of the, bounds, out of bounds, clear down the field, and they called it intentional ground. It was a joke. It was a bad call, so that confuses fans who take who watch this stuff right. seriously, like you. And well, I appreciate you. The, bringing the number it up. one thing is the quarterback's got to be outside the tackle box if he's just going to throw it away, and it has to get beyond the line of scrimmage. It doesn't have to target anyone necessarily, um, but there has yeah. But if he's inside the tackle box, it has to be in the general vicinity of a receiving eligible target. Right. Well, when Josh did it, he threw it. Too far over Gabe Davis's head. But he I was guess. outside the pocket. I mean, it was uh, just that whole it was, call was so bad on three or four you different see, levels. You see a bad call like that, and all of a sudden people get confused as to what the rule really is because it's so painfully obvious that right. it was wrong. And then Gabe Davis specifically, he has enough production in this league where he's probably going to command a sizable dollar on the open market. 
a price that's probably going to be too steep for the Bills to stomach, knowing their cap situation. And then number two, there are there are a group of fans of the Bills that wouldn't mind seeing if the Bills can do better at the number two wideout position and for less money in the form of a draft choice, knowing this is a deep wide receiver class. You're not going to pay Gabe Davis $13 million a year to not have a reception in, or one reception or less in seven games this season. Look, I, I like Gabe Davis as much as the next guy. He's been a, a formidable deep threat for them, but his catch rate is around just over 50%. Even for a guy who often is targeted on low percentage plays deep down the field, that's a low catch rate, yeah. um, and it's tough to live with. If you're not going to get targeted that much, when you are targeted, you can't play the 50-50 game. It's just not productive for your passing attack, and I think the Bills – no, paying a premium for that is is not not a smart business decision. So would they like to have Gabe back? Yes, but it's going to be at a price that works for them, and I think Gabe's going to be able to get more than that on the open market. And I think that's why many right. of us anticipate we he got, won't be here We got year. to week nine of the regular season in the Eagles game. He went zero catches for zero yards. Um, then in week 14 against the Chiefs, zero catches for zero yards. Week 15 against the Cowboys, zero catches for zero yards. That was a run game. I don't think anybody produced in the passing game that week. Week, yes. eight, week 18 against the Dolphins for the division, zero catches for zero yards. Yeah. Um, and then he had a couple. He had a game, one catch for six yards. He had a game, three catches for 21 yards, and, one catch for 35 yards. And this is a receiver who has spent more time with the starting quarterback than anybody else on the roster with the exception of Diggs. They both got here in 2020. Nobody else has as much time on the field with Josh Allen as Davis and Diggs. And you say, well, why is he not getting the ball? He put on, let's not forget, this guy worked his tail off in the offseason, but he also got bigger and heavier. I believe it kind of compromised his separation ability. So I think getting open has become a bigger issue for him as well. Um, and I think it's it's – it's borne out in the number of targets he does not get right. over the course of the season. So that's there are a number of factors in that, and which one the Bills subscribe to, I couldn't tell you, but those are some that, that we've noticed over the last couple of years. Let's go to Mark in West Seneca next. What's up, Mark? Hey, guys. Uh, I had a question, but since refereeing was brought up, now I've got two. Um, my first question is Brian Thomas out of LSU. Um, he's the one guy that excites me. Is, do you ha think there's any realistic possibility that he could drop down to anywhere about 18 to 22? And if so, uh, what would it cost the Bills to move up to that spot to get him? Uh, and would it be worth it, knowing how many receivers are in, in the draft still? Uh, secondly, um, I don't know when the league meetings are in the offseason, but have you guys heard any scuttlebutt whatsoever, because uh, it was another horrendous year of officiating, uh, any substantial changes that might be being discussed, uh, any kind of changes on how they train these guys. And, and I'm not talking rule changes. I'm talking about uh, the process of finding referees, training referees, and beyond that, how they do their job uh, during games. And then quick, quick point, lastly, um, everybody talks about all the bills, uh, holes the bills have to hold, uh, fill. I look at it as a good thing because it's going to give Brandon a flexibility that he hasn't had in the past. He always has flexibility, but typically he's got to lop guys off the roster and then a lot of times end up with some, some amount of money up against the cap even though the guy's not here. 
when you have that many open spots uh, because of so many free agents, it gives him a flexibility to manipulate and fix the roster the way he wants, and I have every confidence that he will. So thanks, guys. Yeah, no problem, Mark. Um, Uh, A couple of things. First, uh, LeBron Thomas Jr., um, that's – Brownie's crush. Brownie, want, crush. Brownie too. wants Brian Thomas Jr.'s bad. Now, if you want to go up and get him, if he's up, if he's there at seventeen or eighteen, the Bills yeah, could Steve get did him. The calculations last week. It would cost the Bills their one and two this year, the twenty eighth pick and the sixtieth pick. They could get up to the seventeenth, eighteenth pick right in there. Cincinnati and somebody else. I can't remember what the order is. Um, so they could get up to get him as high as 17 or 18 if they wanted to go the first, the 28th pick and the 60th pick. It's, it's pricey. It's very right. pricey. So there's that. Um, the refing, I, I've said this too, and I'm going to continue to harp on this during the offseason. My take on the referee, certainly it was in, in the forefront for all the wrong reasons this offseason or this season during the regular season. My perception of that is this. Because so many games, particularly Buffalo Bill games, Bills don't lose by more than a possession ever. It's been three years since they've done it in the regular season. So all their games are close and they come down to like two or three plays. If an official is involved in any of those two or three plays, and all of a sudden the refereeing's an issue. Now it's a and big it's magnified. deal. It's just magnified. It's always been that way. And I think the officiating is as good or maybe better than it's ever been. But the problem, it's not the problem, but the, the reality is the games are so close. Yeah, the optics. And we are, we are so, they are so scrutinized now like never before. You, you tend to focus on it a little bit more than we have in the past. Certainly close games bring to the forefront where they, they are distilled down to one or two plays. And like I said, if an official's involved in those one or two plays or these tight games are in, all of a sudden they stink. Or all of a sudden, well, you got to call that. You know, the Chiefs are, were hot about calling, you know, uh, Tony, Ladarius Tony. Ladarius Tony. Ladarius Tony. He's lined up as a cornerback for the Bills, for crying out loud. He was so far over. But the, the Chiefs are outraged by that, right? So whatever happens, you get in these tight games, that's what's going to happen. The officials are going to stay involved because the league doesn't this – in, this isn't a garage league. If you break the rules, it's going to get called in overtime just like it is in the first quarter of the preseason. It's, it's going to get called. So they're not, they, they don't want the officials to be afraid to make a call. If it's the right call, you, do, you don't have a complaint. If it's the wrong call, okay, now everybody's upset and everybody's up in arms about it when it was yeah. a tough call to begin with. So I'm I'm not I'm not up in arms about the yeah. officiating like we a lot haven't, of people are. We haven't heard anything about the official training changing in any way, shape, or form the next league meetings at the end of March, uh, which is they typically do when have, those take place. They do have <laughs> full time employees though as officials. There's not not all of them. But the people of, that run the officiating department are full time. Yeah, they've the always officials been. themselves are not. The officials are not. Some of them, I, I think, some of them were. They, they were talking. I think they are. Some of them are. I think some of the hit lead officials have begun to be full time, and they were starting to upscale that. Um, but yeah, like I said, and quickly, the the thing that's going to be interesting about round one, as it pertains to a prospect like Brian Thomas, is how much the quarterback talent 
the edge rushing talent and the offensive tackle talent is going to push the receiver talent down. It's not going to push a receiving talent like a Marvin Harrison down the board or a Roma Dunze or a Malik Neighbors, but it could push a Brian Thomas down the board because the edge talent, the offensive tackle talent, and the quarterback talent are very good at the top of the class. And you want to cross your fingers and toes that that pushes that second tier of receiver talent down to the Bills. I don't think it gets down to 28, but maybe it gets it within striking distance. Got to take a break. More of your phone calls when we return here on One Bills Live. Live where we are asking you how confident are you that a retooled and younger Bills roster can win the AFC East in 2024. Back to the phones and to Doug in Lancaster. What's up, Doug? Hey, how are you doing? Doing well. Hey, I want to ask a couple of questions. Sure. Yes, um, that Von Miller contract. How long is that last? Well, this it, year it is la- probably the last year. It can be voided after this year. They can get out from under it after this season coming up. And how much they got to pay him to get out of it? Well, it it's not a matter of paying him. It's a matter of terminating the contract, which. Uh, would still carry dead cap money for the Bills on the cap. Uh, he's technically signed uh, for another four years, but they can oh. they can withstand the cap hit in terms of dead cap money after 2024 is palatable, at least. It's still going to be a lot of money, but at least it's something they could probably stomach. They can't do that right now if they want to outright release him now. That's the problem. Okay, that's that's what I thought. Okay, then I have another question. Sure. Uh, you know, whenever I listen to you guys, and then you have the media um, having questions for the players or whatever that come up after practice and stuff. Yeah, I can never hear the questions. Yeah, we're with you on that one, I'm Doug. Not with you, man. Uh, they've tried to use a parabolic microphone to capture the questions, but. It, it works better, sometimes better than others, unfortunately. We strain to hear the same questions you're trying to listen to as well, Doug, and trust me when I tell you it's every bit as frustrating. Um, we've tried to remedy that situation as best we can, but with mitigating success. Yeah, they don't have we'll s- keep at it, though. Yeah, what they need, they just need somebody. They don't have anybody that, to, to point the mic at the guys who's answering the question, asking the questions. Um, so that's the problem. And... Uh, you know, they pop up like popcorn and it's, you know, so they don't do, they can't, they can't do it. So there you go. Yeah. Um, and just, so I, I needed a second to get the numbers in front of me. So next year to get out from under Von Miller's contract, if they choose to do that, the dead cap hit would be $15 million, a little bit over that. If they released him now, the dead cap hit would be 32 and a half million. That's just not something they can undertake. Um, he signed through the 2027 season. It's a voidable year, I believe, uh, at the end. But still, uh, they don't want to lengthen it. That's for sure. So it's going to be very interesting to see what yeah. they do with it. It'd that. be really cool if it got to the end of this coming up, upcoming season and all the hopes and dreams of Bills fans are realized and they're hoping, man, I hope we find a way to keep Vaughn. Wouldn't that be nice? Oh, because he had like a 12-sack yeah. season? That well, would be great. Because he had like a 17-sack season. He's the best thing since sliced bread. And everybody's like going, don't get rid of Vaughn. Keep yeah. That would be a great scenario. And um, hard to make happen, but that's still in the cards. So, yes, yeah. after this year, every the rest of the three years become voidable and the cap hit drops dramatically. Let's go to Mike in East Aurora next. What's up, Mike? Hi, guys. Hey, 
I got a few. I got a few things that I, I would like you to keep me on for a few for a few extra seconds because I want to talk uh, about Von Miller a little bit. But I think that I'm a hundred percent sure we're going to win the AFC East. I think it's going to be fifteen and two is going to be the record, which you guys think, probably think I'm nuts, but I really believe that. I think we're going to make a splash in the agency somehow and get a receiver. Uh, now, as far as Von Miller is concerned, Steve, I know you agree with me because we've talked a few times on the radio about this, but Von Miller, his claim to fame is rushing around the tackle low below the, uh, the hip. He has not. He did not do that one time this year, because I didn't think he had confidence in his knee. Because you need to have a lot of lower body strength in order to do that rush. I believe he is going to be a double, a, a double uh, digit. What am I thinking? Yeah, double digit sacker this year. Okay. Uh, and then last, but last but not least. I think Gabe Davis is not going to con- con- – I said this before, too. I don't believe he is going to get the kind of money you guys think he's going to get. He does not have the hands of a $12 million guy. Uh, he's a good blocker, and he, 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 he runs a good skinny post, and he runs a good long post, and also a fly pattern. But those are the only three patterns he runs. He can't run over the middle. He has a hard time running, uh, running to the sidelines on a on a uh, on a, uh, a down and out type pass. So that's that's what I got. I'll hang up and listen to you. All right, thanks, Mike. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, we we in Buffalo, and this is kind of the the way it is for all players when when they've come to the end, and and you don't know if you're going to be able to keep them, and you haven't been able to win or or have the kind of offense or defense, whichever side of the ball the player happens to be on. You feel like they've contributed to the to the downside of that of that offense or defense rather than the upside. And certainly we've had moments where Gabe was the, the coolest dude going, man. Four touchdowns in the playoff game, the Pittsburgh game from two years ago when he, you know, it was a 98-yard touchdown and then a 62-yard touchdown, all of that stuff going on. Um, and certainly he's had moments. But as for, for those of us who are familiar, part of the fan, we kind of know, and we're trying to think, you know, it's just too much of a roller coaster. There's too many games, like Brownie and I have said, where he disappears. Uh, he doesn't. He's got a limited. He's you got a limited route tree. Can't have that from your number two receiver. Right. You just can't. The thing is, too, and the thing that I go back to, no receiver on the Bills roster this past season or the season before had more snaps than Gabe Davis. He plays more than any wide out on the team, and he had less than fifty receptions this year. Uh, you know that's, you know, um, you got to do better. Uh, and there's got to be a thought out there that they can find a guy that, at the, whether you like him or not, at least statistically is going to help you more than that, or at least on a more consistent basis. So that's, and I think we're all kind of feeling that for Gabe. Everybody likes Gabe. He's a good dude, and he's a really good player. He's an NFL, solid NFL player. But for a team that's looking for upgrades on the margins, you know what I'm saying? We're, they're just, there's just, they're close at a to cheaper the cheaper cost. They're close to the top. And if you can start trimming things off and getting closer to the top than you are now and maybe getting over, that's, this is the kind of move you th- feel like, even as a fan, you got to make. And I think the Bills are probably there. Now, that doesn't mean that 
you're right. Gabe Davis may, there's some people who think Gabe will probably come back because he won't command the money. He's going to get out there and find out it's a cold, cruel world in free agency. And he comes back to Buffalo on a veteran minimum or something. I was an exaggerate. He's not going to do that, but you know what I'm saying. Um, They will be able to afford Gabe maybe because of the free agent market. Who knows? But for right now, there's the big thought where Brownie and I, and I think, you know, Mike from East Aurora is the same way. You you think you can do better. That's all there is to it. Got to take a break here. When we come back, hour number two begins with Matt Verderam from SI.com. Had an interesting take on the AFC East. We'll see where he stands on the outlook for the division when we return. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, hour number two on a Tuesday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you, and pleased to be joined now by NFL writer for Sports Illustrated, Matt Verderam, joining us uh, on the line here. He's had some AFC East write-ups for SI.com that we wanted to kind of feel him out on a little bit. Matt, thanks for joining us. Appreciate the time here in the offseason. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate yeah. being here. So I I do want to begin with uh, you know your one move that you feel every AFC East team should make this offseason. I know you've done other divisions, um, but obviously we're a little uh, AFC East myopic. Uh, so I, let's begin and, and keep it simple here and lead off with the Bills. Uh, you're of the opinion that they should let just about every one of their free agents walk. I, I think that will be a case to a large degree, maybe not universally so but their cap situation makes it prohibitive to run it back quote unquote um i know if they had their way they'd like to have daquan jones back for sure knowing all the holes they have in terms of free agents on their defensive line but we're probably looking at a youth movement here right yeah and that's kind of the point of where i was going with that look i think daquan jones you're right if there was one guy that they had their druthers they could they could resign it would be him the question is how much do you invest in jones when you've already invested a ton in ed oliver right next to him and so it becomes hard to lock up all that money on the interior of the defensive line but you know a lot of these guys now at this point that are hitting free agency not all of them but a lot of them are older guys leonard floyd had a very nice year for the bills you could probably let him walk at the comp pick for him uh, you know, one of the more interesting guys is an AJ Epinesa. Do you do you try to bring him back? Does it work? Is there enough playing time to go around? Obviously, they have to make a decision on Gregory Rousseau's fifth-year option this offseason as well. Um, I, I just think if you're the Bills with the cap situation and looking down the line and trying to make sure you you maintain flexibility, it's hard to bring back some of these guys at numbers that they might get on the market, a guy like a Gabe Davis. When in reality, you're probably better off trying to maybe find that that cheaper replacement in the draft and then move forward being able to build around Josh Allen without having to pay some of these guys on a you know second or third contract a lot of money. Certainly, it, it's different from position to position, from wide receiver to corner to defensive line, defensive end, line, all that. But generally speaking, there does seem to be, we forget that every um, all but about 
well, maybe half the team, let's say half the teams in the league are over the cap. So they've got to get cap, cap compliant first. So no matter almost universally, no matter what free agent you lose, there's going to be a comparable guy out there that you can go out and grab if you can free up the money to do that. And really it's about what you have to offer, the chance to get a championship, the chance to maybe sign a short-term deal, get back on the radar, go to a really good team on a really good defense, make a difference, and then hit it again, right? How big of a, a phenomenon is that in your opinion? No, Steve, I don't think there's any question. And, and the Bills are an attractive team because they are a really good team. And if you're a defensive free agent, you're looking at it going, okay, it's a good defense, coached by a defensive-minded head coach. And if you're on the offensive side of the ball, you're going, well, this is great. I get to play with Josh Allen. So you know, there's definitely part of that. Like, like I mentioned earlier with Gabe Davis. Okay, now, if he walks, there are a ton of free agents out there. And you're not going to replace him with a guy who costs more. That that doesn't make any financial sense. But maybe you go out and you sign a guy like a Darnell Mooney, who you say, you know what? He's going to cost a fraction of what Gabe Davis is going to cost. And with Josh Allen, he might really take off. He, he's been productive in the past with lesser quarterbacks. Maybe he's a guy who could go to Buffalo and have a resurgence. I, I think you, know, you, you give Shakir a bigger role in the offense. He's obviously a, a kid with a lot of talent and a lot of potential. But yeah, to your point, Steve, there are guys littering free agency. Look, we always see the first 72 hours or so of free agency, and we see these massive contracts for these top-line guys. The real value in free agency is in the weeks after that, where you find that second-tier guy, that guy who, for whatever the reason, whether it be a little bit of an injury history, whether it be age, where you go, you know what? Get this guy in a one-year deal. Leonard Floyd's a perfect example. He was signed far later on had a really good year for the Bills, and now they're in a position to get a comp pick for him. So I think it's guys like that who you can bring in where you're not paying a premium, and yet you're not really having a drop-off. Do you think, Matt, that – because we were looking at some of the positions in free agency already. You know, safety was an example of this last year. You had people like Jordan yeah. Poyer who thought they were going to get paid giant money in free agency last year – and the problem is there were 17 other starting safeties entering the free agent market. And the only guy that got paid was Jesse Bates, and everybody else took a haircut uh, in free agency. We're looking at those lists already. They're long, and now you hear about potential cap casualties out there like a Joey Bosa uh, or a Nick Chubb, who granted is coming off injury and probably won't command big money. But there are enough examples out there where you're sitting there going, holy cow, like supply is going to far outweigh demand. And you got 16 teams trying to just get cap compliant. They're not going to be shelling out giant money to do that all over again. Um, so my question to you is, to your point about Leonard Floyd, you saw the Bills take advantage of late free agency. I, I feel like because of the flood of supply that we're going to get here in the coming weeks, there's going to be a handful of teams that are going to be able to take advantage of that kind of scenario come May or June post-draft. Forget about second wave of free agency. There's no doubt. And, and we, we see this some years. Look, and this draft is expected to be very deep. Like, if you talk to people around the league, a lot of people feel like this is one of the deeper drafts in recent memory. So that also plays a factor in this. If you're a general manager, you know, we'll stick at wide receiver for a second. Would you rather pay a receiver $20, 25000000 million or go draft a guy in the top 50 where you're saying, hey, we're going to get this guy cheap for four years. If you draft him in the first round, you're going to get him cheap for five years if he works out for you. So there's definitely that aspect as well. And like this year, you guys mentioned Daquan Jones. Daquan Jones is a really good player. And you know what? He might be coming a lot cheaper than people expect. Because when you look at 
this year's class. Chris Jones, if the Chiefs don't retain him either on a tag or on a long-term deal before free agency, he is the top free agent, you could argue, on the market. Then there are guys like Christian Wilkins. I mean, Christian Wilkins is a, is a big name, is a big-time player, and there's, beyond those two, a lot of depth at D-tackle. Like, somebody's going to end up sitting there holding the bag saying, man, I, I thought I was going to get $20 million a year. I'm going to get 10 and I'm going to do it on a one-year deal. I mean, that's that's reality in today's NFL. If you don't get that deal quickly, that money dries up in a hurry. I remember last year, Orlando Brown coming out of Kansas City. A lot of people thought he was going to get massive, massive money. He ended up getting decent money in Cincinnati, but nowhere near what he was expected to get because other tackles signed first. Mike McGlinchey signed early. Jawan Taylor signed early. And that was it. So there's always that risk if you're a free agent. If you don't sign quickly as one of the bigger name guys, especially if your position is stacked, it becomes hard to find that money. All of a sudden, teams don't have it. Even if they value you, they can't give you that money. They just don't have it in their coffers. And so it's definitely a factor. And that's why I think a lot of the smarter teams, they wait. They let those teams with huge cap space caches, they, they let them spend it. And then they slide in and they get the, the value. And in, in, further down your article for SI, you also mentioned, you know, you went down through the AFC East. Now, it's really interesting. And you're kind of where Brownie and I live. The, the Miami Dolphins have kind of backed themselves into a corner with Tua. Uh, certainly, he's played well. His numbers back it up. They were in the hunt for the division title all the way to week 18. He seems a little fragile, although he took about every snap this year you wanted him to take for Miami. I mean, he lived through it this year. But still, there's that doubt about as to whether he can carry a franchise like an elite quarterback can. But now, it's time to put up. Uh, and your kind of advice is, hey, you may as well pay him and, and see what happens, right? It's hard. I, I, I would not want to have to pay him right now. But I don't think they have much of a choice. Right. They don't have it. They are so capped out. I mean, they're they're if you look at just the cap sheet, they're in a familiar or a, a similar spot, I should say, with Buffalo. But the Bills have a lot more levers they can pull here. And the Bills know that they have the quarterback. They know they have the guy. There was no hesitancy. Like Josh Allen, you're happy to pay Josh Allen. I don't know that you're over the moon to pay Tua here, even beyond just the health stuff. You know, we all saw that week 18 game. And in that game, at no point did you ever feel like Tua was going to make the big plays down the stretch to win that game. None. And Allen, for the mistakes he made in that game, he also made all the plays you need to make down the stretch to win it. And so I think if you're the Dolphins, I think you're trying to pay Tua to get that cap number down in the future so you can you can help with your with your situation financially. But I don't want to give him huge guaranteed money. Like I want outs in that contract. I want that thing to have incentives in it. Like I the problem is, is if you're Tua's representation, you're sitting there going, no. Not going to do you any favors. Like we want five and two fifty minimum because that's what the going rate is. And as the cap keeps jumping, it's only going to go higher and higher and higher. I mean, I, I think if right now he he signed today, he's probably looking at fifty five a year, which is crazy. Like he is not shown to be that level of player. I do quarterback rankings every week for Sports Illustrated during the year. He's he's above average, but he's more in that ten to fifteen range. He's not really in that top 10 range. And so that's a lot of money to give to a guy who A, has injury concerns, and B, yes, put up numbers this year, but against the best teams, really struggled, did not play well. Whether it was Buffalo, Kansas City, Philadelphia, so on and so forth, did not perform the way you'd want him to. 
So, yeah, I think you give him the money because that's the NFL that we live in today. But you do it really winching and hoping it works for the best. Yeah, because the Dolphins can reduce his cap number and make themselves more cap flexible with an extension as opposed to the franchise tag. That's number one for them. But, yeah, I mean, if if you're Tua and his camp, this is your last shot at it for giant money, at least as far as I see it, because – that guy's one or two concussions away from maybe hanging it up. I mean, he contemplated retirement long and hard last offseason. Uh, sure. You know, sat down with his family and everything. So I got to believe his agent feels this might be the only time we can get to swing big on a contract. So, I mean, unless the Dolphins are ready to pony up, I, I could see that shaping up to be a little bit of a staring contest between the two sides. It could be. It absolutely could be. When you look at his draft class, Herbert's now gotten paid and Burrow got paid. And it's a weird thing because, look, Burrow is the better player and he's got the credentials, right? I mean, he's won the division titles. He's been to the Super Bowl. Herbert has no credentials from a team perspective. None. But I don't think anybody believes that Herbert's not the player that Tua is. I think everybody thinks Herbert is a more talented player. The other question you have, if you're Tua's representation, but also on the flip side for the Dolphins, Tyreek Hill is still, if not the best receiver in football, top three for sure. What happens when Tyreek Hill isn't that guy anymore? I mean, we're getting to a point now where he's going to be on the other side of 30. Like, like what happens with that? And also, are they going to pay Waddle a fortune? I would think that they probably do when that time comes. But what is Tua in three years from now when Tyreek is not the Tyreek that we know at this moment? And maybe Waddle's gone or if he's still there, now he's the number one guy and he's not the number two guy. Like that, that is the question. I don't think, like, when you look at a Josh Allen, you don't worry about that. You don't worry about what he's going to be. As long as he's healthy and he's upright, he's going to be great. You do worry about that with Tua. I think it's the same question we're going to have about Purdy in a few years in San Francisco. What happens if Brandon Ayuk's not there? What happens if George Kittle's on the back end at that point? Then what? Are you still going to pay him $55 million a year? You still feel good about that? That's a real question. So I think you're right. Like, the Dolphins are going to have trepidation. I just think, as Steve said, they're backed into a corner. I don't know where they're going to go with this whole thing. And if you're two in his camp, you're looking at it going, that sounds good to me. Pay me. Pay me right now. I'll take the check. So we, as we move on through the East, you, you go to the New England Patriots. And it's, I mean, for a, a franchise that for so long seemed granite rock solid, I mean, nothing changed over there. They changed this guy, that guy. That everything was just chugging along, and it never moved. Now it seems like they put the whole thing in a blender. You know what it's going to look like, right? I mean, they've got new coach, new staff, nothing but question marks at key positions, bunch of free agents taken off. Matt Slater even just retired this today. So, you know, what? how do you see them shaking out and sifting through all the issues that are facing the Patriots? I think it's a full-on rebuild right now, right? I mean, Belichick leaves, and so it's Gerard Mayo coming in. And let's be honest about where they are. They don't have a quarterback. Now, maybe they draft one at three. Maybe they they get a Drake May or Jaden Daniels, however it works out. But they don't have a quarterback. You know, if they want to go the veteran route, they want to get a bridge guy, fine. No matter how you slice it, they're not ready to compete right now. That offense does not have enough talent. Ramondre Stevenson is a very nice running back. They don't have a number one receiver. They don't have anybody on that offense that scares you. Defensively, they've got talent, especially with Christian Gonzalez coming back, Judon coming back off the injuries. Defensively, they can be good. But offensively, that is a 
full rebuild. And so look, they have had 20 years now of incredible success. If you're in Foxborough, you're going to have to live with a few years of kind of retooling this thing, figuring it out. And I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. Look, you've, you've got to reset sometimes. And New England was trying to piecemeal it together with Belichick there. They were hoping that Mac Jones was going to be the answer. And then they could have kind of relaunched on the fly. It didn't happen. He's not that guy. And so I think if you're in New England, at this juncture, you've got a lot of cap space. Go out and get yourself some weapons on offense. Go get guys, though, who are going to be there for a while, not these cheap one, two-year rentals. And then, in my opinion, if you believe in a quarterback at three, draft him. If you don't, then don't force it. Don't take a guy just to take a guy. Go get a bridge. Go get a Ryan Tannehill. Go get, go get someone of that ilk, uh, and and move forward and 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 kind of wait it out a year. If you're Mayo, you know you have a little bit of time. The Crafts, it's a good organization. They're not going to rush things. But yeah, I, I I think it's a hard case to be made that the Pats are in a clear fourth in the AFC East right now. And then finally with the Jets, it's becoming more and more readily apparent that they grossly miscalculated in the draft by not investing in their offensive line. I know Pittsburgh kind of beat them to the punch on Broderick Jones in round one last year, um, but they didn't pivot, and they went D-line again where they had an embarrassment of riches, and the chickens came home to roost in week one. Poor pass protection led to, you know, Rogers' season-ending injury just four plays into the season, I you know. Even if he doesn't get injured in week one, you have to believe with the way that line played out, there's no way Rodgers would not have missed time um, with the pressure he likely would have been under on a weekly basis. All that being said, the question now is, do the Jets have their head on straight to actually fix an offensive line that doesn't need just one fix, but probably multiple fixes, not to mention the fact that maybe their best lineman is coming off a major, major injury for the second time in his career? Yeah, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but the Jets have given no reason to believe that they can figure this out. Zero. Like, I mean, I am from New York. I am from the air. I, I, I watched the I'm 35. I've, I'm intimately familiar with the Jets and how they operate. I, the Jets have done very little in my entire lifetime to make me think that the Jets are going to all of a sudden figure this thing out and everything's going to work and they're going to be singing Kumbaya come week 15 next year. Like, I, my problem with the Jets now is the same problem I had with the Jets when they were acquiring Aaron Rodgers last year. Aaron Rodgers is an obvious, when he's healthy, an obvious upgrade, a massive upgrade over anybody that they've had in quite some time. The problem is they can't block anybody. And that was obvious last offseason. And yet, as you point out, they did not do enough. Yeah, you draft Carter Warren and you draft Tippman in the second round. That's all fine and well. But they did not nearly do enough to address the myriad issues they were going to have up front. And so now you're sitting here and they're, they're tight to the cap. Now you can always create space. We all know this with extensions and restructures and you cut a few guys and that's fine. This is not a great class of offensive line help and free agency It's Tyron Smith. Who's an older left tackle. Who's often injured. Kevin Zeitler is a really good guard. Maybe he gets out of Baltimore. If he does, that's a guy you can look at Dotson coming out of, out of the Rams, but a really nice year there. If he gets out of LA, okay. Their tackles, they're going to have to draft a tackle in the first round. I don't see any way around it. There's not enough in free agency to help them there. I still think it's an issue. And then on top of that, you got a 41-year-old quarterback next year coming off a torn Achilles, and who's he throwing to? Garrett Wilson's great. Who else? Who else is there? I, I, I think the Jets can fill a need. I don't think they can fill four needs. 
five needs. And in the AFC, that's what they're going to have to do to compete. Could they make a run at a wild card spot if everything goes well? Sure. Do I think they're going to? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> last one, last one from me, Matt. Uh, you had all another article on that side that was really interesting about the confidence, and certainly the AFC is stacked with quarterbacks at the top of with Pat, Josh, Lamar, Justin, Joe, the whole crew. And you went down the list, and surprisingly, I think at this point, twelve months ago, we wouldn't have known this, but C.J. Stroud is up at the top of that list as well. A lot of it, they just got better. Uh, Joe Burrow going to come back seemingly healthy this coming year. Uh, so they're going to be stacked once again. But the confidence level, how much in these teams, like, of course, the Bills are confident going in, the, the Chiefs are confident going in, and now the the Texans have reason to believe they're going to be confident. Justin Herbert with Jim Harbaugh, a lot of optimism there. How much of the confidence in each of these quarterbacks around the AFC that we're all so familiar with centers around stuff other than the guy, you know, the, the, the team around How much of the, you know what I mean? Because I know it's different from team to team as well. Yeah, I, and look, I think when you're talking about this many great quarterbacks in the conference, I mean, Steve, when you were playing, there was you had Jim Kelly, there was Warren Moon and Dan Marino and John Elway and so on. I mean, Joe Montana for a few years and so on down the line. Like, you guys kept everybody else from making the Super Bowl those years. I mean, well, what was the reason? Well, the team around Jim was great and Jim was great, so it worked out okay. The, the reality is, like, you look at Justin Herbert with the Chargers. He's always going to have an uphill battle because he's got Patrick Mahomes in his division. Like you're going to have to find a way to get past that guy, and not just him, but Andy Reid and Brett Veach, right? And, and now, all of a sudden, you know, we all looked at Trevor Lawrence a year ago and went, man, the Jaguars are really on the come. This is a young and up-and-coming team. And now you look at it and go, they're going to have a problem. Because Houston's really good and really young, and they, they nailed the draft even beyond Stroud. Guys like Tank Dell and Will Anderson Jr. And so you look at it and go, man, that's going to be a problem, right? And then you have the North where – is it Lamar? Is it Joe Burrow? They're kind of ping-ponging off each other. So I think so much of it does go into, well, who's around you? Who's making the decisions in the front office? Who's got the better coach? Who's got the better line play? We, we spend so much time looking at all the fancy football positions. Who wins up front? Who can help that quarterback the most? And who's got a defense that's going to keep that quarterback from having to score 30 points every week? So, yeah, I think a ton of it is based on the decision makers around the organization, the coaching staff putting guys in the best place to succeed, and then finding a way to build that roster around those guys so it's not always incumbent on them, where you can you can lean a little bit. We just saw Chiefs win the Super Bowl. Yeah, Mahomes was terrific. They won the Super Bowl because of that defense, and that's why they won the Super Bowl, and then Mahomes made a half dozen plays a game. That That is, to me, so much of it in a loaded AFC. And then quickly, Matt, before we let you go um... – your Super Bowl 59 matchup of choice. Uh, obviously, we like the sounds of it. I think we know why you picked it. You know, two teams that have never won the Super Bowl. Um, maybe just hand us your your logic in seeing it at least as feasible, too. Yeah, my editor over at Sports Illustrated asked me to come up with Super Bowl 59, like the matchup that everybody would want to see. And so my first rule was the Chiefs can't be involved because I think <laughs> at this point, unless you're in Kansas City, I don't think I don't think the nation is clamoring for the, the Chiefs back in the Super Bowl. They've they've become this year or this, this year as Patriots. Um, look, the Bills are an incredibly likable team. Whether it's, you're talking about character or whether you're talking about just watching them play, I mean, Josh Allen is one of one. He is so unique in the way that he plays, and 
you know, look, I, I went to I went to school a few hours from Buffalo up in Oswego, New York, and I have so many friends who are Bills fans who are dying with that team every week. And when I went to school, it was it was with teams that were not anywhere near as talented as the team that's there right now. And so you get to know that fan base. That is such a loyal, passionate fan base in Bills Mafia. I think people in America would appreciate that team being there, A, because of the team itself and the style they play, B, the passion that comes along with them. And then on the other side, I put in the Lions. The Lions obviously get into the NFC title game for the first time since 1991. Uh, and, and you look at a, a talented team, a very young team, I thought had maybe the best draft class of anybody this year. Dan Campbell, a very good young coach. I think the Lions, when you look at it in the NFC, not not the plethora of quarterbacks that we just ran down in the AFC. So Jared Goff may be overwhelmed in the AFC to some degree. In the NFC, you can make an argument he's top three quarterback. I think there's a real chance the Bills and the Lions find their way to the top next year. I know the Bills have some changes to make. That's fine. You have Josh Allen. You have plenty of talent around them. Uh, I think that would be uh, a, a stellar Super Bowl matchup and one that I think the country would really enjoy watching. Matt, good stuff. I appreciate your time. Thanks for stopping by. Anytime, guys. Thanks a lot. All right. That's uh, Matt Verderam from SI.com, NFL writer over there. You can check out his stuff online at SI.com. Wanted to just bounce some things off him with some of the things that he put together. So good uh, rundown of the AFC East to-do list, at least for each of the four teams. And I I loved his characterization. You could tell he's got a New York accent. He's a downstate guy. Um, (laughs) Yeah. His characterization of the Jets is very similar to mine. And, you know, this is what we've borne witness to uh, for the better part of the last 45, 50 years. They, yeah. they cannot get figure out of their out. own way. They can't they figure can't it out. can't get out of their own way. Like, Broderick Jones gets drafted by the Steelers, who leapfrog them, feeling that oh, the Jets are going to take a tackle here. They need tackle help. Let's get ahead of them, get the guy we want. They get Broderick Jones out of Georgia. I think he winds up by the end of the season being their starting right tackle. And instead of the Jets pivoting and, like, sliding back, maybe taking a tackle they have a little bit lower on their board, they just swing for another defensive end. And, look, Will McDonald may be a great pass rusher in due time for them. But it was just, to me, they compounded the issue. Um, and, look, Joe Tipman was a guy that you liked. I liked got him. him in the second round, and he ended up starting at center because of injuries. Yeah, he was but, a really, he's a and big, he might be a great player. I think he could be a good player. They he still might help. be. They needed help on the edges, and they just flat out didn't get it. we got to take a break here. When we come back, more of your phone calls, maybe a little NFL true-false as well. we got to check the tweet sheet, too. All of that coming your way next here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. How confident are you that a retooled and younger Bills roster can win the AFC East? We uh, head back to the phones at 803-0550. And waiting patiently there is Marie in Amherst. What do you got for us, Marie? Hey, guys. How you doing? Good. 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 So um, I disagree with the retooling or younger roster. I think we need to keep the same formula we've been going with um, because we've been winning with it. So we're clearing up cap space. You know, we're adding to it by signing these one-year free agency deals, get the best free agent we can get. And I think we just need to um, maybe sign. I like Brendan Rice from USC, the receiver. Mm-hmm. But I think we need to go heavy on defense after that because, you know, we keep building on around Josh and that's fine. 
But we got a three-tier system right here. We got Cook, Kincaid, Knox, and at receiver, we still got Diggs and um, Shakir. So they've been doing great. I think that we can get to the Super Bowl with them. We just got to get better on defense because you look at the Niners, they got a great defense. They got the three-tier system as well. You know, we got the better quarterback, but they got McCaffrey, Ayuk, they got Kittles. Then you look at Mahomes, he had Pacheco, Kelsey, the other um, tight end they have, and, you know, once in a while they'll use another receiver. So the formulas here, we can use the guys that we have. It's fine to add another receiver in the draft, but, you know, I think we really need to build on that defense. And Josh don't have to get a player that can, you know, he could launch it over 20 yards down the field. You know, 10 yards is the first down. We got players that can get open, that can catch the ball. You know, we can keep killing the clock if the defense not up to par and just do what we got to do. But I have a question. Um, do you guys think that after this season, if we don't reach the Super Bowl, do you put McDermott on a hot seat or do you give him the Mike Tomlin treatment because he keep winning? That's it. Yeah. All right. um, first things first, yeah. you're right about the defense. There are far more holes on that side of the ball, so I do think – that it will be addressed both in free agency and the draft because you can make the argument if Gabe Davis doesn't return, that's really the only starting position you have to fill on offense. Right. Everybody else is under contract that was manning the other 10 starting positions. So you're right about that. And so I do think there will be a concerted effort to you know plug the holes on defense knowing they are far more numerous in the starting 11, either due to free agency or injury concerns. So that's first. And then, yeah, second – with respect to McDermott, no. I mean, in my estimation, is McDermott is the guy you want to be taking the swings with because I think there's two teams in the league that have made the playoffs the last five years in a row. It's the Chiefs and the Bills. That's it. Nobody else has made the playoffs five years in a row. It's the only two teams. So Listen, you're doing something right. Keep swinging. Just keep I, taking a swing. I get the frustration with always running into the Chiefs and coming up short. I get that. But it's everybody problem, else's problem, too. Yeah. If you change it now, you're going to take it. I just don't think there's anybody, not, not Mike Vrabel, not Bill Belichick, nobody out there in the, in the coaching market, that if you bring them in here, this team takes a, an immediate step forward. I, I just They're not going to get better. You're going to take a year back. You're going to step back a year. Now, and then once you do that, you take that year off, you're, the thought is – for the, for the callers or the fans, that you're going to – now's your time. You're going to come back, change things up, acclimate to a new system, do all that stuff, and then come back stronger than you were before. Well, let me tell you something. There's no guarantee you're ever going to come back ever at all, let alone stronger. Um, you don't just change the head coach when you change the head coach. And this is a group that you got to have faith is going to break through and, and beat that because Brownie's right. The same problem you have is the same problem everybody else in the conference has. you got to get past Pat Mahomes and Andy Reid. This is the team that keeps stepping up to the plate. Nobody else has done it five straight years. This is the team that is good enough to go to, get there, and punch them in the mouth. You can be frustrated that they haven't gotten it done, but they learn every time they do it, and they're going to they're – I, I think they're going to break through. I think they're going to do it. Um, all of it. Also, I don't think works because we say youth movement, retooled, all that as anything other. I don't think that's a philosophy change by Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. 
they're still going to fill holes in free agency running up to the draft. They're still going to be able to do that. They're going to do it, and they're going to build the team with all the assets they have financially and other one draft-wise the way they have always done it, with the best players building the best roster they can. And then they expect, as always, Sean McDermott to maximize it. I think philosophically, though, they're going to have to rely on more youth going forward because younger players are going to be the ones filling well, those here's holes. The here's they the thing. They can't though. fill as we, many with veterans. You can go to, you can, I can tell you what I think is going to happen in this whole scenario. They're going to restructure Josh, Steph, Dion, Trey, Dawson, Milano, Taron, Mitch, maybe even Nine Ed. Guys? Maybe even Ed. They can do all of that. And if you want, you if you want to get couple. heartless, Tredavious is a cap casualty. And they may even go at Vaughn and say, hey, Vaughn, will you give us some relief? Tear that contract up and let us do this instead. And all of that will get them well past. They'll give them some space on the cap. So I think they're going to get to the draft, and they're going to have filled most of the holes that we have seen on both sides of the ball. There's only one on offense, like you said. It's the number two wideout. I think on defense, they're going to have a roster. So they're going to be able to pick whoever they want in the draft that's going to be the best player going forward. So I'm, I, I, that's the philosophy they have had that got them to this point and got them to the, up to the plate and up to the upper echelons of the league and has kept them there. I don't think that's going to change. So I'm kind of with Marie, although you can label it or talk, call it whatever you want. Let's go to Mark in Stockton. What's up, Mark? Hi, guys. How's it going? Good, Thanks good. for taking my call. Sure. Um, I want to talk about complimentary football. I want to talk about how in certain situations, like late in the game, you had second down, you got guys underneath. The defense is giving you the short yardage plays, but Josh is going all the way to the end zone. And it's like, look, man, the clock's only a minute and a half left. Uh, last thing we want to do is give Kansas City Chiefs a football. Uh, rein in your quarterback and say, we only need first downs because – Professional football is about those first downs, and that clock is your friend at late in the game. And I've seen reverses on five yards. I'm sick and tired of the bonehead plays where you're giving away a down, going for the low percentage perception play. Jim Davis on a clear day probably would have caught that for a touchdown, but it was raining, it was windy. Josh's arm got bumped because Kansas City's coming after him. Well, game man, game Davis and a couple other guys were running underneath for five yards. All you needed was grab that, grab a couple more, eat up the clock. I'm talking about situational, complimentary football from our coaching staff. We've seen them do some really dumb stuff and blow plays, and that every every time you make a little blow play, you you, you lose it at the end of the game. They're only a couple blown plays away from taking it all. All right, Mark. Uh, well, Mark, you're partly Matt. I, I Mark still Mark. isn't over the game. You're 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 talk kind of talking out of both sides of your mouth, Mark. Yeah. You're saying had Josh is making you know he's trying to throw this thing to the deep camera when you got all these guys running underneath. Well, the guy who schemes those plays and calls those formations and personnel combinations and has those guys running five yards underneath are the same guys you're you're belly aching about. Josh throwing it over the top. Listen. You're right. In certain situations, Josh got to make better decisions. The guy leads the league in interceptions, and he does it a lot. But he also leads in touchdowns. He had – I don't want to get into that. Josh had a better – 
he had more touchdowns and the same interceptions as the MVP and the comeback player of the year combined. Josh was better than both of them. But he's got to be better in certain situations. And that's, it's not, that's not a Sean McDermott issue. That's not a Joe Brady issue. That's a Josh Allen issue. And Josh knows it. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. <clears throat> you know there's nobody else they're going to put in there. You could make the case. If you're going to put this on the coaching, here's the only way I, I can see myself doing that. You, and, I don't, and they do this, I know, but I'm saying it anyway, as if they didn't. When Joe Brady's on the headset to Josh Allen, They'll have some sayings that every single time Josh gets the play, they'll say this, hey, Josh, don't – our guy or nobody. That means he's going to throw it to our guy or nobody. Or he will say at the end, Josh, just get the first down. Take the easy one. And that's the play. He'll call the play, and it'll have a guy – it'll have Shaquille, uh, Shakir going deep down the post, down the middle – and he might snap open, but the last thing you want Josh to do is try that. What you're telling him right before you call the play is, hey, take the easy one, which means one of the three guys underneath. They tell Josh that. They'll coach him up on that. If they don't do that, they should, and that's the only way you can put it on coaching because those guys are there. They are running free. They are a choice that Josh could make, but he doesn't. And in some situations, actually most situations, Josh does it right. Got to take a break. Closing it up after this. All right. We're just about out of time here on One Bills Live on a Tuesday. We'll be sure to catch you on Wednesday. Same bad time, same bad channel as uh, we'll be joining you at 1 p.m. See if we can't do a little more AFC East talk. We'll see you then.